Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. But if you look at the opportunity of knowledge experts, of the folks that maybe don't have a year's worth of savings because they haven't had that opportunity or can't live in their parents' house uh, during that time period or just don't have the belief system or privilege to, to be able to do that jump, I think there's so many people like that. And that is a powerful opportunity to be able to solve for. And then you couple that with no venture investor wants to invest in media businesses as a single line item. It actually eliminates a lot. As much as the barrier has been lowered to actually have sustained success, I think it's never been higher. That's the thing that gets us excited. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top-tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empires or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones and let's dive in. Today on Media Empires, we're airing an interview with Adam Ryan, the CEO of Workweek, a media company dedicated to changing the way content is consumed and created with a community of industry experts. Adam and I discuss his model at Workweek. Adam also launched a recruiting product last year, as well as writes the Perpetual Newsletter and the Perpetual Podcast about the world of media, which we'll link to in the show notes. This conversation took place February of 2023. Here's Adam. So, so Adam, uh, you've been a media operator for, for a long time uh, in, in a few different uh, capacities. Um, I, I want you to give kind of like a, um, an overview of the different waves of media, particularly in B2B. Um, uh, different kind of fa- phases of, of B2B media and, and maybe an evolution uh, in the past you know, uh, decade, perhaps. And then I want to go uh, think about w- where it's going from here, because that, that's kind of where Workweek s- sits. W- why don't you situate us by explaining some context? Yeah. I, so B2B media also, just to define that, because some, some, uh, some may not be on the same page there, but it's essentially just, you know, uh, is your North Star creating content to help people be better at their jobs? And uh, if we look at the kind of historicals of that, that was done in trade publications, uh, print, um, and those businesses had a lot of success, actually. Um, most of them then launched into uh, trade show conferences, um, uh, and that was the, those are the businesses. And if you look at businesses like Informa uh, that are you know, multi-billion dollar businesses, that's, that was kind of their, their history and playbook there. Um, I think you then had... Uh, a wave of uh, kind of digital uh, digital start to happen. PC Mag was one of the first ones. If Davis and, and that group uh, started to build around uh, digital publications, um, mostly page view businesses that turned into lead gen businesses, um, and uh, and and that uh, that kind of kicked off in the two thousands. And then I think two thousand tens was an interesting time. Industry Dive got started there. That was really a newsletter, one of the first like newsletter forward uh, broad categories where they just weren't one industry specific, but went many industries. Spiceworks, where I was at, kind of took a different strategy, new model, 
had about 100 software engineers to build software businesses, gave it away for free to monetize with ads uh, for IT professionals. Um, but I think in general, uh, the rise of consumer media like Vice and BuzzFeed kind of made the 2010s pretty sleepy uh, for B2B. Um, there wasn't that much innovation happening. Uh, there wasn't that many new businesses really capturing the market. And now I think you have a little bit of a resurgence um, happening. People are recognizing the purchasing power of these audiences, uh, the ability to collect them and influence them. And uh, I think the the tailwind that we we like at Workweek is that uh, in those 2010s, when everyone was kind of sleeping on B2B, uh, fashion and beauty media really had a rise. Um, and the trend uh, that, that, uh, that existed for that was um, people started following their favorite people to make those decisions. Um, you listened to your favorite influence or what makeup you wanted to buy, uh, what products you wanted to buy. And then the maturity of that cycle allowed people like Kylie Jenner to create billion-dollar empires off of her influence. Um, I think in B2B, uh, that cycle is still very, very, very early. Um, there is no Kylie Jenner of franchising, uh, at least not yet. And that's what Workweek's trying to solve. Totally. That, that's fascinating. I'm curious to compare with, with Industry Dive because it seems that you guys, is it fair to say you're, you're more of a prosumer um, approach than than the approach that they, they've taken? Or how do you kind of compare, besides the fact that one is creator-driven and one is kind of unified front-driven, how, how do you think about, about that? I would say it's it's more perspective uh, or like opinion based uh, content versus journalism. Uh, Sean and his team, Sean's put together amazing journalists up and down various industries that break news. Uh, Retail Dive consistently breaks news in the space. Where if we compare Nick Sharma, kind of similar audience reads, but Nick is writing about what he thinks is the best way to build a business in retail. Um, and our example, a little bit in, in this case, is of like if you use sports. Um, I think people really appreciate sports journalists um, and what they've been able to do. But uh, there's been this path of players turning into analysts um, because people appreciate that on the field experience perspective. And that's a little bit of the, the different uh, angles that I think like work week versus industry dive. And from a business perspective, do you feel like they both have similar levels of uh, kind of ability to expense? Ability to expense in, in what capacity? Or in terms of like businesses paying for their employees to... To, uh, to to ingest the, the news versus analysis. Yeah, I think like, um, you know, when we were analyzing like spaces to get into, uh, we looked at entertainment, we look at gaming, we looked at every space possible. Um, I think it's really difficult if you did a map of purchasing power or revenue per user, however you want to think about it, um, addressable market uh, and people paying for opinions. If you lined up those three, B two B is uh, is about the only one that that allows for that people are willing to pay a lot of money for someone's opinion if they think they they can learn something better at their job. That makes a lot of sense. So you guys are in a number of different categories with a number of different creators. Why don't you share to whatever extent you're comfortable your framework for how you evaluate uh, the sector or the space to, to to cover? Hey, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. We should prioritize this, etc. And also the the creator. Hey, this this creator is someone we want to take a bet on. This one, you know, it doesn't make sense. How do you think about that? Yeah. So the first one going into category or segment, 
kind of similar uh, a little bit of like uh, addressable market. How big is this category? The next one is if we're talking about how big that is, it's not just total people in it. But if we use healthcare, for example, you know, providers as a category, hospital administrators, insurance, policy, bio, uh, pharmacy, you could go down the list, a lot of segments in healthcare. You look at franchising, massive category overall, segment wise, there's, you know, you have franchisees, Zors, uh, there's a lot of op- uh, overlap of those two. And then you have private equity investment, like there's, there's, uh, there's not as many categories there necessarily, uh, from a persona uh, opportunity. Um, and so that's like one thing we're, we're looking at is like, what are the segments in each space? Next one uh, is, does this audience actually have real purchasing power? I'll use marketing example here. Um, you know, I think having uh, Tommy Clark for us covers social media marketing managers. It's a great audience. Purchasing power is less than hospital administrators. Um, so just building a plan around that and knowing like how to capitalize. And then the last one that we look at is, is there any track record already of a media company here? With healthcare, you have like Becker's Healthcare, um, but, and they're a pretty large business. Um, you know, in uh, IT, you have Ziff Davis, essentially. Um, but, you know, if you look at franchising, there's not like a, a media business in franchising doing that incredibly well. That shows that there's like a, a path there that either you have to pave yourself or that you could maybe... Uh, uh, capitalize on uh, on something a little bit better than they've already been doing. I, I was talking to John uh, John from Aging Media earlier today uh, on the podcast, and you know he was d- diving into his categories, and the sectors are, are right next to each other, uh, or, or really, uh, really adjacent, so they get some benefits. If you were starting over from scratch, obviously you guys are doing tremendously well, but would you have started in in categories that uh, were closer to each other, so you could kind of like own one? Uh, like the ones you just mentioned, healthcare, for example, or, or how, how would you yeah. think about sequencing? Yeah, we went to market with like one creator in four totally different categories. Um, and I think Jacob Donnelly wrote about this on our launch day of like what the downside of Workweek was or something, but um, uh, that was easily fixed. You know, we, we recognized that uh, there was a reason for it. We didn't want people to categorize this as one. Like we want to be the business of business. And if it's in your work week, it could be part of work week kind of deal. But um, uh, it's incredibly inefficient to run that way. Um, and so, you know, now our marketing kind of vertical, uh, we have six folks creating different content. Uh, FinTech is three. Um, so I'd say it's been an evolution of the business, but one that we we were eyeing pretty pretty early. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you think about uh, different platforms, like in terms of like, do you see um, YouTube uh, gaining more uh, popularity or importance among the business side? Or, or how are you thinking about, it seems that you've started intensely with with newsletters and, and expanding from, from there, of course. But how do you think about platforms and their evolving uh, importance over time? So for us, uh, we started with newsletters because of the data angle. Every great B2B company is just a great data company. Um, and so uh, that first party data is easily collectible when you know who that person is based on email address. I think there's a real opportunity. You know, we went really heavy on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we've invested a, we've invested a ton in those platforms and have had now a lot of success with them. It's such a mode of organic growth. Uh, other KPI, I think, of any media business is how are you growing organically and uh, investing in those uh, social platforms uh, not only drives you know, subscribers, but uh, it then gives you that distribution. And I think that affinity that every media company wants. Uh, YouTube, we're, we're having our first like official, I mean, we have 
one creator that's already uh, doing that on there. I think they crossed, we launched them a month ago. They crossed a thousand subscribers today or something, but we have a full blown strategy going with one of our creators on YouTube here in like the next couple of months that we're going to, that we've been putting a lot into. It's a hit. It's going to be hit or miss. You know, I think like either it's going to be everything that we thought it would be um, in terms of distribution and affinity and like uh, even another place to uh, find through the algorithm to be identified through through potential folks. Uh, the other aspect of YouTube that we love is even if you can't monetize it directly, uh, you can open yourselves up to programmatic and there's actually uh, some opportunity to to capture some of that investment back. Um, and I, I think that's, uh, it's an underrated aspect of building there compared to other places. So, uh, all we think you, in the end, if you want to build a massive media business, you have to be on all the platforms, but you just have to recognize like risk reward over time and, and take your shots where you can. Where, where do podcasts fit in? I, I think like the jury's still out. I kind of fundamentally think people love podcasts. People that listen to podcasts love podcasts, and it's becoming more of a habit every day. And you can see that by usage. The issue with podcasts is that nobody will invest in growth of a podcast until you know who is listening. And that medium will always, always be stifled because marketers today aren't investing in TV because they don't know who it is. Podcast is no different. Right. Um, and, and until you have that data, I think it's not a marketing effective marketing channel. And until it's an effective marketing channel, I think it makes it incredibly hard to scale. Um, and, and that's kind of the, 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 the piece there. I think there's the thing that I get excited about podcasts is one, it's the rep, it's a reputation builder. It's a way to get in the room with this person that you look up to. It's a way to actually get your voice of authority out there with other people that you consider the voice of authority. Um, I use my podcast constantly just to like use an excuse to meet the people that I like want to learn from. And I, I think it's actually a really valuable way to do that. Uh, and then the second aspect is I, I think it can sit behind a private community. I think like YPO is meant to be disrupted and podcasts actually play within that new disruption play of like, hey, I love this person. I love to hear from them. It's part of my membership that I get to listen to that. And so I'm kind of, it's not necessarily, I don't think people would pay for a podcast, but I think it'd be a great feature part of a subscription. Yeah. One thing that, that is really interesting about what you guys have done is you guys have, have worked with established creators like Nick Sharma and, and Trong and others, but you've also broken um, creators. I, you know, help, helped them build their audience from, from scratch in some cases. How have you, what have you learned in terms of the, 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 the non-obvious maybe pros and cons or, or what makes most sense for your, for your business model. I, I, my guess is that the newer ones you're able to, to hire and, and own most of the, the upside and, and the more established ones, you know, you have to sacrifice more, more upside, but uh, you know, they're de-risked. I, I imagine. How, how have you thought about it? Yeah, I, I actually think it like, I don't think about it much from a business model perspective. Ultimately what we want to do is, work with every industry expert uh, in every category. And if that person's already established in there, then we're going to go work with them. If that category isn't established yet, we're going to find a knowledge expert and turn them into the industry expert. I think it's one of the most fulfilling aspects of this company. I think it's like one of the biggest differentiators is like we don't need someone that already has a massive audience, which is what most creator economy adjacent businesses are built on is essentially arbitraging people's distribution they already built. Um, for us, like 
I can help build your reputation for you and it can be life-changing. I mean, in the end, for us, the the business isn't built on uh, our long-term success isn't built on like rev share percentages. It's built on like, have we created a playbook repeatably that we sh- can show that we identify scale and and then and then help um, expand industry experts. And if we can do that, uh, I think like the rest will take care of itself. Totally. One challenge in, in these in these businesses historically um, is that when the creator um, has gotten so big, sometimes they've they've left the, the the platform. Now you guys have all sorts of novel ways in which you're trying to create long term alignment with the with the creators so that they stay. Um, are you also like one thing Barstool does? is on every podcast, they'll have two hosts to make sure that even if one leaves, uh, there's some redundancy there so the property doesn't die. Do you think about also having a little bit of redundancy just in case someone, you know, despite your best efforts, uh, someone gets so big that they want to leave, but you still keep the the property? Or how do, you, how do you think about that that risk? No, I think like doing that is is hedging a bet that says like, we're not doing everything we can to keep you. Um, every person we bring on a work week, I say... Like And the way that this company got started was saying, uh, Beck and I wanted to do something uh, together and have a lot of fun and, and build a business based on the values of who we are. And that's before we even like knew what we would do. And when we wrote those values out, we were like, wow, if this actually happened, we could do this for a long time. Uh, and then I think the real problem in media is not graduation rate. It's not ad space. It's that people have short time horizons. Um, it's that everyone's trying to flip their business to the next HubSpot. Uh, and because of that, there's no real innovation. And for us, every person we talk to, every company-wide meeting, um, we're talking about how we're focused on trying to work with people for at least 10 years. Um, and if you do that, not just on a creator front, but an operator front, we think we can achieve things that the industry hasn't achieved before. Um, and so I don't, I don't hedge my bets. Um, I, I go all in. Um, and the way that I see that uh, is, you know, uh, we have... We have things that we have to do to help people be happy in the short term. And then we have things that we have to give them opportunities for uh, to help them grow in the long term. And uh, if we can do that, then I'm not really worried about retention. Yeah. And and is the is the hope basically that if you guys had existed in, you know, 2018 or, or whenever these people were starting, that you would have discovered the next Harry Stebbings or or Lenny Wachitsky or Packy McCormick and thus, you know, had joint ventures with them as they built their respective empires? Yeah, Lenny is like the the sweet spot of like who we talked to. I think Packy and um uh Packy and Mario and others are are like amazing and I'm closer to them than I am with Lenny. Um but Lenny covering like a true B2B angle of product managers, of on the field experience at Airbnb, writing about that it's like exactly who we, we, who we would work with. And so that's a big inspiration. Um, and yeah, I think Hiba Youssef who covers our HR is like well on her way to be in five months. She's added like 40,000 newsletter subscribers and doing amazingly well. And, uh, there's others like that, that I think we're, we're on the path of, of helping, helping develop those, those next lines of, of, uh, influencers of these spaces. Yeah. It, it is amazing to think about, like imagine, you know, startups pre venture capital, there were probably a lot less founders uh, who were willing to take the risk to to start a new business. And um, you know, Lenny was someone who who boldly took took a risk. But, but there's there's more Lennies out there for specific positions, and so and 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 maybe they just don't realize that there are opportunities like like yours where they can perhaps make more than they do in their current job 
doing something that they'd probably be more passionate about, which is teaching uh, or or writing or, or bringing people together in it. And so, and maybe there's not thousands of Lennies, but maybe there are hundreds or, you know, for, for different positions. And so I'm curious how you think about like reaching that. Do you only work with people once they've started um, on their on their creator journey or like, uh, yeah, how, how do you think about kind of how early will you go? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, four of our like 15 most successful folks that we work with like day in and day out, um, four never wrote a word, never was on a podcast. Wow. Four were less than 4,000 words in. Uh, they had started, but like the Wolf of Franchises, uh, I reached out to him after his first send. I was as a subscriber. Um, uh, we brought him on when he had about 50. That's pretty common for us. Um, I think to your point, uh, there's hundreds of Lenny's. Um, I think there's thousands of knowledge experts in the world, more than tens of thousands that could absolutely blow someone's mind by how much they know about a certain topic. And I think we have more knowledge experts in the world than we've ever had before. It's a trend that we really like. The reality that I don't think a lot of people like want to admit, because it is a risk that Lenny took undeniably, uh, and, I, and every content creator takes this risk no matter what your situation is. But if you look at the opportunity of knowledge experts, of the folks that maybe don't have a year's worth of savings because they haven't had that opportunity or can't live in their parents' house uh, during that time period or just don't have the belief system or privilege to, to be able to do that jump, I think there's so many people like that. And that is a powerful opportunity to be able to solve for. And then you couple that with no venture investor wants to invest in media businesses as a single line item. It actually eliminates a lot. As much as the barrier has been lowered to actually have sustained success, I think it's never been higher. That's the thing that gets us excited. Totally. My friend John Coogan is the founder of Soylent, and he's got a pretty big... He's basically packy for YouTube. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, I, I don't know how mature kind of like B2B you, you, YouTube is yet, but I'm curious if you've looked at anyone who kind of had a YouTube first presence and considered working with them, or if that's something that you might in the future, you know, my uh, the, our friends at Smooth Media, you know, found Colin and Samir of YouTube podcast and said, hey, let's create a newsletter off that, you know. I love, I love Colin Smear. That's who I was going to say. That's, a, that's yeah. a perfect example. You know, I think what Colin Smear did too, right, which is this is like scaling any, you know, Part of what we do at Workweek is scaling intimacy. George W., you know, George Washington did not write his farewell speech as famous as that speech is, right? Um, uh, none of the none of the late night hosts ever write their own monologues. Like in order to scale intimacy, you have to be able to scale yourself. And it's a thing that I think a lot of creators can't afford or uncomfortable with. And what I love about Colin Smear is like, they were able to scale to that newsletter. That is not them writing that every day. And that's not discrediting them. It's giving them more credit that they've been able to scale that brand through someone recognizing their voice. And, you know, that's, that is the, that is a playbook that you have to be able to execute if you go from one platform to the next. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people who are big on one platform uh, and, you know, could use uh, Workweek's help and others to, to help scale. I, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, you know, we're st- startups like pre-venture, I'm curious, just your your take on creator financing ecosystem more broadly. Like our friends at Slow Ventures are investing a million or two million into into YouTube creators in exchange for five percent of their earnings over the next thirty years. You know, you were at the Trenton Group before, uh, and you know, you, you guys have been doing lots of experiments with uh, with with creators and businesses that they end up at. And and for anyone considering entering the space, there's a question of like, hey, do you become like a late stage VC into create and work with creators once they're more established, or do you become do you try to build like the YC of of creators and and try to work with them when they're you know just starting out, but perhaps you can get special economics 
I, I think the challenge with, with building a business around an individual, of course, is they might want to do it a number of different things. And so unless you, you know, you own, unless they, you hire them and, and you own whatever, whatever they do, the tendency is to have a, some version of a 360 deal. I'm curious what your take is on, on, on what I'm what I'm sharing, and where do you think it's gonna like the market's gonna clear in terms of what's what's gonna be the norm? So just using your uh, late stage, early stage. So I think the late stage stuff that's happening is brilliant. It's accessing capital that you wouldn't have. It's it's giving more optionality and invest in other options. And I think as people look at like, you always have to look at the category leader of like how do they do that, right? There's no doubt Jimmy, like on YouTube, like he proved what you had to do. You have to take your earnings, invest it back in and just keep doubling down and really pushing yourself uh, to create the very best content possible. And what so what that late stage uh, financing of YouTube of buying essentially the future rights, it's allowing that to happen at like scale so much faster with people that can accelerate timelines it's brilliant. I like think that was great and a great innovation in the space. And I think they're going to find more opportunities to do that. And I think, you know, there will be, you know, I would say if you look at, uh, there's a creator that I follow for my daughter, she's one, uh, but her YouTube pages, uh, her name is Miss Rachel or YouTube pages like uh, for basically little kids. And it's the anti Coco melon for like one year olds. But if you look at her, like I broke down her, her page uh, for a newsletter I'm writing and like her repeat rate is like 15 times higher than every other like great YouTube page, better than Mr. Beast. Like parents just keep going back to it. And if you think about someone like that, uh, that content's evergreen. It just makes so much sense essentially to, to fund that in the future. And I, and that allows her to do more and innovate more. And, and I just, I just love that opportunity without sacrificing the creative freedom that, that, that person uh, needs. Um, early stage though, the YC stuff, it's like, you know, I kind of put us in that category in a way and um, smooth, you know, there's others like doing interesting things in the space too. Uh, in many ways, like uh, I even would consider like uh, on deck and uh, Maven, like though those businesses are built on distribution, it's allowing people's reputation to increase drastically. When you get to be in the front of the room, all of a sudden people start to look at you as this voice of authority. Your opportunities expand because of that. Um, it's the same thing of doing the speaking circuit back in the day. And so I think there's like a lot of innovation happening in that space. I don't think anyone has a playbook yet uh, that like you could say this is the guaranteed way, including us. Um, we're four, not even 15 months old. So I think we're still learning a lot too. But that to me is like where you can unlock a lot of value, not only financially, but also like in society of like really creating this opportunity that has been talked about for so long of like, can people be middle-class creators? Is that a real thing? Seems pretty made up today, in my opinion, but like if it's possible, how? And I think it starts there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've said in a previous interview that you're, you're you know, because you're a relatively young company, uh, because you're working at creators at different stages, that you're that a lot of the deals are custom. Um, yeah. Maybe perhaps as you're as you're scaling up, you'll invent sort of the the uh, the creator version of the YC safe, and you'll have kind of standardized deals of like, hey, you you fit in this bucket. You're you're a seed creator. You're a Series A creator. Yeah, yeah you have you know distinct you know interests and and wants from us in the same way that different companies want different things from their VCs. But you might be able to standardize over time, which will help you. Uh, kind of scale is that sort of the idea potentially i think like if you talk to like the night guys um you know they're they're saying every deal they do is snowflake um 
And you're like, well, how did you raise $100 million doing Snowflake deals? And they're like, because we only need 100 successful people to have a multi-billion dollar business. I, I see our business similar. I think I always use the 75 as our example. I think we have a multi-billion dollar business with 75 successful creators. And so part of me, like, I mean, I can tell you our law firm hopes that I keep doing Snowflake uh, contracts because our legal bills are through the roof. But on the flip side of that, like, I think every person we work with is incredibly happy. We've been able to like pull the levers that they need to worry about thriving instead of surviving and like give them all the incentives that they need to just wake up every day and want to be their best self. And so, you know, if you take that away, there is no sauce. And I think like that's the, uh, I've made a comment before, which is like, a, I, I don't think it's totally fair, but like the day you really have regular contracts for creators is the day that you're just the next New York Times. And like, that's not, a bad thing, but that graduation problem is not going to get solved. Um, and that's, that's really, I think what we're focused on. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. That 75 number is, is helpful to get a sense for what kind of scale you're, you're anticipating, hoping for, aiming for. You guys do everything from you know, different positions like sales and, and people to, you know, different categories like, like FinTech and, and uh, climate and franchises. Are, are they more uh, similar than one would imagine, like uh, you know, building a sales media property versus building a, a climate or, or franchise property. And I also noticed that you have multiple creators in, in people or, or fintech. Do you sort of plan out that, hey, you cover this side of the industry, you cover this, or, or is it a lot of overlapping? Yeah. So the segments are similar. I said earlier, like if, if you're in if you're in fintech, uh, I'll use fintech or healthcare. I could use like Alex Johnson definitely covers kind of emerging tech um, and deep analysis on like banking and, and kind of modern kind of fintech approaches where Nicole Casperson covers her brand fintech as femme covers essentially the lens of like fintech news and information through through a woman of color. Very different category of content. Overlap of audience. The inspiration for this was like uh, Austin Reef and I used to talk a lot when I was at The Hustle and I did a lot of surveys. At one point, I had an 18,000 person survey filled out and only about 15% of our The Hustle audience read Morning Brew. But if you looked at our advertiser overlap, we had about 100% overlap. And that was the idea is like, could you create these segments that definitely have overlap, shared monetization strategies, but they're not actually cannibalizing each other. So that's how we're pretty particular where we go. To your point about the, the playbook, I'd say we've gotten better at this. Like the franchise business is monetized fairly differently than everything else because that industry monetizes fairly differently. I think what's not different is how to build intention of an audience. That's like our skill set as a team. Um, our belief is attention is cheap and easy. Intention is hard. And doing that, like humans are humans. Uh, I don't care what industry you're in. Um, and so that's what we've had probably the most repeatable success with of like actually building intention with an audience. But when it comes to monetization, uh, some of them have been like marketing, HR, sales, fintech all kind of monetize fairly similarly climate healthcare franchise like they kind of have their own their own ways um so not everything's uh, perfectly aligned but that's just what we're getting better at totally um maybe it's a good place to to wrap you know we have some creators listening to this who, who could be appropriate for for work week and and we have some uh you know media operators who could be potentially uh, uh, hires for work. I, I would briefly just say that from a creator perspective, if, if you want a thoughtful partner on how to uh, you know, build your business to its fullest potential, you, you consider work week. And if you're uh, an operator looking to uh, work at a pioneering company, uh, you know, building the future media, you, you consider work week. I say that to say any, any other upcoming plugs or, or things you want to add to that in closing for, for the audience. 
Uh, no, I appreciate it. Uh, it was great coming on and, and chatting. Uh, always appreciate your brain, your perspective. Uh, I think like it's so you've built intention through your audience, uh, through your companies. Uh, and you know that I don't think everyone else, some people may not realize that, but, but that's been the through line. Uh, and so it's fun to, to watch that, that happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're a media operator or creator, I also write a, a newsletter, uh, called perpetual, uh, that you can, you can see, uh, and, and, and stay up to a little bit of how I'm thinking about the, the industry. Perfect. And, and a great, a great podcast as well. We'll link to in the show notes, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks so much, Eric. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors, if you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.